Welcome to the Educate podcast series, episode one, Ed TPA Tips and Tricks. Educate stands for Caring Activist Teachers for Equity. I'm Jennifer Martin from the University of Illinois at Springfield. This is super labor intensive. In the fall of 2018, I was appointed one of the Ed TPA coordinators at UIS. I thought it might be helpful to provide our future candidates with guidance from students who had successfully navigated the Ed TPA to assuage any fear and to inform them of some best practices. Disclaimer. This podcast in no way exempts candidates from reading their handbooks in full and fulfilling any other program guidance regarding the Ed TPA process. TPAs, or teacher performance assessments, had their beginnings in California in the late 1990s, following the 1998 passage of Senate Bill 2042 calling for teacher preparation programs to professionalize the teaching force through standardized performance assessments for new teachers. A consortium of 12 teacher education programs collaborated to develop a California-based performance assessment consisting of an e-portfolio requiring teacher candidates to submit video and written evidence related to a series of classroom tasks. The consortium was led by the Stanford Center for Assessment, Learning, and Equity, otherwise known as SCALE who eventually partnered with AACTE, the American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education, and Pearson Education to develop EdTPA to be marketed nationally in 2013. As of 2018, EdTPA is used in almost 800 teacher education programs in 41 states. 18 states require teacher candidates to pass EdTPA or a similar assessment in order to obtain licensing. Dr. Linda Darling-Hammond, Professor Emeritus at the Stanford Graduate School of Education and President and CEO of the Learning Policy Institute, argued in 2010 that performance assessments, such as the EdTPA, are more effective tools for evaluating teacher readiness and competence than previous measures. Darling Hammond also argues that EdTPAs can solve the problem of low teacher quality prior to licensure. First, a biology candidate's experience of the EdTPA. My name is Jennifer Ruglis. They are looking for the students to apply the scientific methods, the seven steps of the scientific method. Some areas, different sciences include eight, but they want all those steps and they want the students to do it on their own. They want them to ask the questions themselves. They want them to um, put together the experiment that they're going to be doing. They want the students to think of the variable. They want them to build on it themselves and be able to interpret data and look at graphical representations. When I was doing my EdTPA, I also reached out to the teachers in my district. And when we did that, we reorganized how we would have taught the lessons. So we put the hands-on part first and then went on to lecture. And the students really seemed to connect with that. So we actually saw the highest test scores in 10 years for this given district on this 
specific assessment, which showed that what EdTBA required me to do and share with my colleagues actually worked for the students. Uh, my name is Dave Matson. I am uh, a candidate in social studies education at the uh, secondary level. And I think uh, the primary focus of EdTPA in my mind is the emphasis, emphasis on the precision of language. Uh, academic language is a big focus in uh, at least the uh, social studies rubrics. And as I thought about this, I think generally speaking, all of us at this point in our, our teacher training would say that we know pretty well how to teach. But there's a difference between generally feeling that way and very specifically, can you do these things? Um, and, and in EdTPA, can you show that you know what you're doing? Um, so I guess as an example of this academic language, in social studies, um, we, we always were asking our students to do certain things, like we use these verbs, evaluate, analyze, you know, argue, support. Um, and I feel like, you know, some teachers we've seen, and even ourselves, sometimes we use those words somewhat lazily. But the truth is, every single one of these words has very specific meaning. And so I think EdTPA really challenged me to think through what exactly do I want my students to do? And then challenged me to have I set up enough supports and sort of learning beforehand to enable or to help my students do that. So as an example, um, we one, one of the things that I did with my students is uh, at the end of my uh, learning segment was uh, write an essay that made an argument and supported with facts. And so as I realized that, um, I need to, to make sure that my students understood what is an argument. What is an argument? What is not an argument? So one of the things we did was an uh, we played, you know, argument or not an argument, and we went through uh, headlines from that day, and we just kept pulling them up, and we just assessed, like, is this an argument? Is it not? Does it actually, um, you know, take one side or the other, and could you support it with evidence? Uh, these are things that I needed to show for my EdTPA, um, but ultimately, it's what I need my students to be doing anyway. They need to understand. When I say, analyze this primary source, well, what does analyze mean? It actually has very specific, you know, uh, definition, and it means something different than evaluate or uh, some of the other, you know, Bloom's verbs. So, uh, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. It was just really challenged me to use language just how I wanted it to be used, and then make sure that my students had enough activities built into the learning segment to to succeed at those tasks. What was the most difficult part of the process for you? And what advice would you give incoming students? Um, so a piece of advice that was given to me was start writing early and keep writing. Life is busy, and especially, you know, once you get into student teaching, there's a lot to do. And I had four preps, and so, you know, keeping up on that, or reminding myself of that content, you know, lesson planning and, you know, uh, grading and all that, as soon as that started, it was really hard to get back to uh, the writing. And so I think, it's, I think it's wise to not only make sure that you get your videoing done before you, you know, 
take on all of your preps, you know, necessarily in student teaching, but even, you know, really make sure to get um, a lot of the writing done as early as possible because stuff's going to come and it's, then it's going to be hard to make the time for it. I know that writing works differently for different people, but would you recommend a couple minutes every single day, 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, or a weekly goal? What do you think would have worked for you? Yeah, I think I, th I agree with you that for different people it's different. For me, I needed big chunks of time uh, to, to really work through. So, you know, I would say, like, you got to carve out, or for me, and a, somebody like me, I, I, I felt like I needed to carve out at least two hours at a time in order to make enough progress. Um, now, once I was so familiar with the rubrics that I didn't have to remind myself where I was and, you know, how, how was I progressing, then probably shorter, t shorter amounts of time uh, would have been okay. But at, especially in the beginning, because the rubrics are so complicated and, you know, there's so much there and you have to remember where was I and did I cover this here and, um, you know, watching myself on video, you know, 12 times and making notes on that, you know, that's, it's annoying to do, watch yourself on video that much, but you've got to pick out, am I meeting, you know, these requirements, am I meeting the rubrics? Um, and so I think to do it in shorter amounts of time would have been really hard to even remember where I was. Uh, my name is Evan Malloy, and I am a candidate in secondary science, biology. Read the prompts carefully and use the language of the questions in your responses. When a question asks you to provide evidence of, let's say, how the students will practice using discourse, explain, provide actual evidence from your lesson plans, what you actually did, uh, provide those types of things into your commentaries in order to actually show the people scoring your EdTPA that you actually did do that. You should feel like you're repeating yourself a lot. Another tip I would say is don't put it off until the last minute and try to do everything in a day or two. When you register for the EdTPA, I was science, make sure you select the right science because there are multiple ones that you can pick. There is a frequently asked questions section on the EdTPA website. I found that to be helpful for Scoring purposes, they, they have a table on there that says, if you submit by this date, you'll receive your scores on this day. So that's kind of another important area of the website to um, navigate. You should feel like you're repeating yourself a lot. My name is Nicole Barney, and I am a candidate in secondary math. And one thing that I wanted to talk about was reading the rubrics thoroughly before you actually write your lesson plans. Uh, so I went through and I read rubrics one through five thoroughly and then went ahead writing my lesson plans. And then when I went back to write my commentaries later, I realized that there were some things that I should have planned for in my plans because obviously my video goes off of my lesson, my assessment goes off of my lesson. And so before you write anything, I would read every single rubric fully and completely because one thing that um, I didn't realize was such a big deal in math is the conceptual understanding and the procedural fluency and how they are connected. So throughout the rubrics, there's 15 rubrics for math, for all of them. There are 15 rubrics and three of ours mention conceptual understanding and procedural fluency. So we need to be showing students having conceptual understanding of a math topic and procedural fluency of that topic. Let me stop you right <clears> there. <throat> 
That sounds very complicated. It is. Can you define those two terms? Absolutely. So conceptual understanding would be the overarching concepts that drive this math topic. So for example, with quadratics, I know that's a big math word, but what it means is those parabolas, those U-shaped things that um, you all had to graph sometime in your math career. With quadratics, when we solve them, the concept is we're finding where it crosses the x-axis. We're finding the zeros. We're finding where y equals zero. The procedural fluency for that is how do we solve a quadratic? We factor, we complete the square, we use the quadratic formula. But a lot of times, especially uh, many, many years ago, teachers would focus solely on that procedural fluency. Here are your steps on how to do math and here is how you complete it, and just follow my lead, and we will get you there. Put them all on the bus, and we all get there together. Well, when teachers realized that was a bad idea, they went to the other extreme for conceptual understanding, and they said, let's teach you what this means. And that's wonderful for kids to understand what it means, that I'm finding the zeros. I'm finding where that parabola crosses a line, basically. So we went to this other extreme where kids didn't understand how to complete things. So they could understand that when they're solving a system of equations, they're finding where two lines cross. But they didn't know how to find that point where the two lines did actually cross. And so the EdTPA really helps us as math teachers focus on putting those two things together so that we can say, this is the idea behind what you're doing, and this is how you do it. So when you're planning your lessons, make sure that you're not just introducing the concepts behind something without showing kids how to do it as well. And then there's this third component in math that we talk about, which is mathematical reasoning. So you have to show kids problem solving. So you're not just giving them things and having them complete that. You're actually showing them figuring it out for themselves. For our novice listeners, please explain to us the 15 rubrics, and could you talk about um, the, the, f the first five going with task one, et cetera? So you're scored based on 15 rubrics. Each rubric has a one to five score, so your total score is 75 points. So the first five rubrics go with your lesson plan, with your first commentary, which is over planning. And they talk about different things that you should be doing planning, and obviously you get a one to five score on each of those five rubrics. The second set of five rubrics, so rubrics six through 10, go with your instructional commentary, and they talk about how you uh, did things in your instruction. So they look at your video and your commentary for that video. Now your third uh, group of five, which is rubrics 11 through 15, go with your assessment. And so those are going to score how you did in your assessment commentary and the student work sample that you submit and your assessment on that. So each of those portions contributes a third of your score. So you could do amazingly on your lesson plans, but everything else has to tie into that. And so my video has to show the conceptual understanding and the procedural fluency and the mathematical reasoning, just like my lesson plan does, because those rubrics also expect that out of the students. And so, so one thing you do have to do when you're talking about your time management, you understand that it takes time to register for the ATPA, and you understand that it takes a little bit of that time. One thing that surprised me was once I uploaded my material, it took about an hour after it was uploaded for me to even be able to review it. So every piece of material that you submit into the EdTPA system 
uploads itself and after a certain amount of time it has these little eyes on it and that says you need to review this before you can say that you can submit it. So if you are a procrastinator like me, that is a really bad thing to wait till the last minute uh, because you, it takes time for them to process it. So if you submit it as a PDF or a Word document, it processes that. And then you have to go back, click on the little eyes, look at it, make sure it looks right before you can click on the button that says, yes, I'm ready to submit this. And you have to do that for every single piece of evidence that you submit. So every student work sample, every video has to be reviewed. So if your TPA is due at 11.59 to get your score, you better be starting early in the day. You cannot start at 11 o'clock and think it's all going to be ready and submitted by 11.59. It's not going to happen. So make sure you have time to review your materials after they've been uploaded. And so if you register weeks before you plan on submitting, you can look and make sure that you have all of those things because that was something that was unexpected for me. I had my commentaries in great form and my lesson plans in three separate files and then opened up the EdTPA and realized I had to have them all in one file. So I had to hurry and put them together. Luckily, I did leave myself enough time to do that. But I feel like... Um, Registering weeks in advance helps because then you can see the list of things that you need to have ready so that you know when it comes time that you're not, you don't miss your deadline simply because you didn't have a work sample ready. Information and examples were retrieved from the website passedtpa.com. One of the most confusing aspects of EdTPA is the unique ways in which language is used. For example, the terms language function, language demand, and vocabulary may be confusing for candidates to differentiate. Here's some clarification. Language function refers to the verb used in the learning target, such as identify, analyze, summarize, define, explain, conclude, etc. Language demand refers to the assignments students create, such as an essay, a lab report, a poster, etc. Vocabulary includes any discipline-specific words the student should be able to define in order to comprehend the lesson, such as an artifact in social studies. Other aspects of EdTPA academic language that require some unpacking include discourse and syntax. In the language of EdTPA, discourse connotes talking. Candidates writing their EdTPAs should not refer to class discussions. Rather, they should refer to class discourse. Syntax connotes grammatical conventions, such as symbols, tables, and graphs. In EdTPA, the word syntax should only pertain if your students are using symbols or making tables and graphs to represent information, for example, in science and in math. Hi, my name is Dalton Barnes, and I am a survivor of the EdTPA. I scored a 46 out of 75, and my area is social sciences and specifically history. I come from a very busy life, so I think the emotional side of this is very important, especially someone like me who is very busy in their life. Um, I have a wife, two daughters, and then during the student teaching semester, my son was born. 
So this has been a very busy semester for me. So the emotional side of this for me was especially important. So one tip I want to offer is pre-research when completing the ITPA. This is something I never thought about. I was never prompted to do, but I wish I would have known about it. ETPA website is not a secret. You can literally log on to it. You can look at the rubrics. You can see frequently asked questions. Um, you can email them questions. They have live chat. This is not a secret. This is not locked up like Fort Knox. So feel free to go on there and do some research. I think that'll help you emotionally re relieve some of that anxiety before you start. ETPA the easy way. She has a video on every single rubric. So you can go to her video, watch it, and say, yes, I did do it that way, and she had an amazing score. Or you can say, I did not do it that way, maybe I should reconsider. So basically what that does, it just gives you some assurance about what you're doing. Have confidence. This is something I struggled with. I'm one of those people that the glass, the glass is half empty. So that's just how I am. But looking back, I should have been way more confident. Read all the rubrics and checklists before beginning. So basically do not wing this thing. What you want to do is you want to take your time and read your manuals. Now there is quick versions available, but I will tell you it does not cover everything. You need to read the long-handed version of every single rubric and every single manual. Rewrite the question and restate the question every single time you write a prompt. So for example, if it asks you to demonstrate when your students are analyzing a primary source, because that would be my social studies. So I would say at the start of my response, this is how I showed my students analyzing a primary source. I would then give examples, and then I would always end with, and that is how my students analyze the primary source. I'm telling you, it will be mind-numbing. It will feel repetitive. You're going to be like, this is not going to work, but it does. Just think about whenever you're grading something or whenever you're looking up something on the internet. You want to see what you're looking for in the question or in the response. Bold the important parts. Now, whenever you're going through your manual, you'll realize that they bold a lot of words. So for example, in the, the history content, they would bold like analyze, they would bold primary source, they would bold things like that. Uh, language functions, syntax, they would bold all these important things they're looking for. So when I would reply, I would bold everything right back to them. So I could say, here it is, right in front of you. This is what you want to see from me. I'm putting it back in the same way you wrote it. And I just think it makes it easier for a scorer, too, to say, okay, we're looking for a language function here. Look, he bolded lang language function right here in his response, so I know he covered that. Aim really high when completing this. Aim for five. After looking back at my rubrics and seeing my scores, it's almost like sad and silly that I didn't aim for fives. There's so many places where I had a four that I could have added maybe one more word, one more sentence, one more response to a kid and got a five. I'm telling you, it is, there is not that much difference. Use their language. Find out what language they're going to be using and just make that your natural language. So if they want you to use the word analyze, use the word analyze. If they want you to use interpret, use interpret. Because my biggest saying was, I might not have used the same words they used, and it was really hard to convert my language to their language. For you, what was the hardest aspect of EdTPA, other than the time constraint? I think the hardest thing was understanding the language. I think step one should maybe be like create a vocab sheet for yourself. Really just finding uh, examples of the language it would be a huge thing that would really help. How was the process of EdTPA a positive educational experience for you? I think honestly it highlights your skills. I mean I can look back now and say yes I can plan. Yes, I can assess. You know, I've been able to build rapport with the students. I can connect to students. It's almost like a reassurance that 
yes, my educational program has made me ready. UIS has made me ready to become a teacher. So looking back, don't look at this as an assessment trying to bring you down or freak you out or stress you out. This is just like a highlight of how awesome you've done and that you finally made it to the end. Hello, my name is Sean Cordy, and my content area is secondary English. Build a support system, surround people, surround yourself with people who want to help you. Remember, you're not in this alone, so your classmates is a, is a great form of a support system. So you have at least 10 people, we had about 15 or so, go with us. So yeah, surround yourself with a support system, your classmates, your professor, use them as a support system. One thing that I did is either find teachers, new teachers at your placement that just took the EdTPA. So I found a teacher that was a year older than I am. He just finished it. He had plenty of good advice to help me through both like time management, completing it, like tactics and whatnot. Of course, you're going to have to do it on your own, but you can still look for advice. It's, there's no rules against advice. Stay organized, consistent, and informed, so read all of your resources before you go through. Set attainable goals. You'll probably hear this advice from everybody that they've that's talked so far. Do one question a night is a very smart tactic that I did not follow. Even if it's not one question, so say it's like question number three and it has three subparts A, B, and C, do part A, that's very attainable for one night. So when I set attainable goals, I found myself setting in the pitfall of I scheduled everything and when I wouldn't get what I wanted to completed, I, uh, I got very upset and kind of shut me down a little bit, kind of diminish the confidence a little bit. So set attainable goals, not just goals, but attainable goals. I know you were given advice and then you didn't take it. Why and how will you inspire other people to actually take the advice that you did not take? So I thought I knew better than everybody that I people gave me advice. I was like, oh no, I'll just do it my own way. But no, see, that is what we like to call a fixed mindset, being set in your ways and not changing and adapting to situations. So this is a new situation that, unlike any other one that I've been in. So it doesn't, I couldn't really use the tactics that I used in my other schooling. This is like, I said, this is the final assessment, a true test of your abilities to get you into the profession. So it's not gonna be like your other college coursework. It's gonna be much more rigorous, standardized a lot. It's a different animal compared to other schoolwork. So you will need to adapt accordingly. Take the advice, these people know what they're talking about. They're here to help you. They're not trying to make it harder for you. So I'm an English major. I overtyped on two of my assessments. So one of the assessments calls for nine pages. I typed 11, and it was an absolute nightmare to cut out two whole pages from my, I, said, I cut out little nonsense phrases and flowery language that I didn't need. But be concise with your, you want to be in depth, but you also need to find that happy medium of concision as well. They set maximums for a reason. There's a reason it's not a page minimum. I mean, maybe I'm the only one who had this experience, but they don't want to read a novel. But getting close to your page limits is recommended, but not necessary. So like I said, I went over on two, but then I was down by page and a half on one of them. We are Educate, Caring Activist Teachers for Equity. Educate would like to thank the following for their support of this broadcast. The University of Illinois at Springfield, UIS. The College of Education and Human Services at UIS. The Department of Teacher Education at UIS. The Center for Online Learning, Research, and Service at UIS. And a very special thanks goes to our sound editor and designer, Emily Bowles, 
online learning and faculty development specialist at Colors, Center for Online Learning, Research, and Service at UIS. I'm Jennifer Martin. Remember, always err on the side of awesome. <laughs>